Great. Well, um, thank you, Rob. It is a, a great privilege to be speaking to you today. And, um, and I get the privilege of continuing our series. Uh, we've been looking, haven't we, at the first bit of chapter one of Ephesians. And in it, we've been taking time to um, just explore what God's big plan is. So if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to it, we're going to read it um, in just a moment. And um, in this passage, we see God's amazing long-range plan for the redemption of everything that he has implemented from the very beginning of time. And Paul writes this letter uh, to the believers in Ephesus, and he starts with this kind of huge outpouring of praise which in the original Greek is one really long sentence. It's like he's so excited, he just doesn't pause for breath. And it's actually a call to worship designed to lift the reader's eyes away from themselves, like we've been thinking about this morning, and from all their fears, and to the majesty and love of God revealed in his unfolding plan. And the privilege that we have of participating in it. So we've seen already in our series how God chooses a people before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And in love, he predestines them for adoption to sonship. And Rob so helpfully last week showed us how from the moment of adoption, God gives the full rights of sonship to those that he has adopted. And in Paul's Roman culture, this was a legal term, and it, it referred to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir who would be given all of the same rights and status as natural children. So God's plan is about making sons and daughters to join his family, to enjoy sonship with all the privilege and position that this brings. So we're going to look at one of those privileges today. Because actually it's only those who have been adopted into God's family who can say with Paul in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. As God's children, we can enjoy free access to our Heavenly Father, like we've enjoyed this morning. Confident in the knowledge that we have been redeemed and forgiven. So the part of God's plan that I want to explore today is the privilege of redemption. So we're going to look at what it means and what difference it makes. So let's just remind ourselves of that verse in the context of the passage. We're going to read Ephesians 1, verses 1 to 10. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You're such a good dad to us. And I thank you that it has always been your plan to choose us, to adopt us, and to redeem us. Pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and fill us afresh now. As we look at this truth of redemption and all that it means for us now, would you connect our hearts to the Father's? In Jesus' name, amen. Great. Okay, so this word redemption, what does it actually mean? Now, it is a word that I think we probably do use in our day-to-day life. Now, I'm sure like me, you've got a purse or a wallet that is stretched out of shape because of all the store points cards that you keep in it. So, you know, you've got your, your Tesco club card, your Nectar card, various coffee shop reward cards. My first rewards cards when I was a teenager was my Boots card. And uh, according to one survey, this is one of the UK's most popular store cards. And uh, it's claimed that 18 million of us have an average of £12.50 of unused points on our Boots card. So next time you're in Boots, if you've got a card, challenge you to see if you can beat that. But the idea is we have these cards and as we spend money in store, we are rewarded with points that build up. And when we have enough points, we can redeem them or exchange them for goods or money off. So then we gain possession of something, whether it's perfume or a day out at Alton Towers or a new saucepan, in exchange for payment. In this case, the points we've collected. Now, this is actually a very simple example because you have to go a bit further to get a deeper understanding Because actually, redemption isn't just getting something for free. It's the price you pay to get back something that is yours, but has been lost. I have a friend who was in the middle of writing her dissertation, and uh, it's a stressful time. So one day she decided she needed some peace and quiet. So she drove to the university library. She parked on the road outside, something that she'd done countless times before. However, on this occasion, she completely forgot that she was only allowed to park in this particular place for one hour. It was a main road, a busy route into town. So after a really long, productive day, she packed up, headed out to her car, only to be faced with a road completely devoid of parked cars. 
it immediately dawned on her what had happened. So she went back into the library um, and asked the lady behind the desk if she had any idea where her car would have been taken to. And the lady kind of rummaged around and found a card and said, ring this number. She had to get a friend to drive her to the place her car had been towed to in order to regain possession of it. Now, when your car gets impounded for being left in the wrong place at the wrong time, they don't just hand your keys over. You've broken the law by parking illegally. You have to pay a significant price to get it back. And that's what my friend had to do. She paid the enormous penalty price to cover the several parking tickets that had built up on her windscreen over the course of the day before they'd finally towed it, as well as the release fee that would allow her to get her car back. So how does all of this relate to the redemption that Paul says we have received in verse 7? In him we have redemption through his blood. Well, for this, we need to consider our spiritual condition. The Bible says that we originally belonged to God. In the first chapter of the Bible, we are told God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we were his, made to enjoy perfect relationship with him. We read of Adam talking and walking in perfect unity with God in the Garden of Eden, ruling over all creation, naming all the animals, completely in partnership with God. And then in Genesis 2, God gives one clear instruction to Adam and Eve. They are not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They can eat from all the other trees, just not this one. And this was a loving instruction given to protect them. God says, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Just one chapter later, we see humankind's fall. From the perfect condition in which they were created to a state of sin. Adam and Eve choose to disobey God's command, and instead of taking him at his word, they believe the snake's empty promise that if they eat the fruit from this particular tree, they will not certainly die. Sin has been called the great deceiver. It holds before us endless pleasures, but fails to tell us the price or consequence of following its attractions. And we see some of these consequences immediately following Adam and Eve's choice to go their own way in Genesis 3. So Genesis 3, verse 7, their eyes are open to their nakedness. They experience shame for the first time. In verse 8, they hide from God. They go from walking and talking with God in the cool of the day to hiding from him. They experience fear and separation. And then verse 14 onwards, they experience the curse of sin. There's enmity or opposition between them and Satan. Women have pain in childbearing. Conflict and blame disrupt human relationships. 
and they have to labor and sweat to get fruit from the ground until the day that they return to the ground. And then, tragically, in verse 23, they are banished from the Garden of Eden and, crucially, are no longer allowed to eat from the tree of life and live forever. Everything that follows in the Bible does so as a consequence of the events that took place in the Garden of Eden. So in Genesis 4, we see the effects of sin as Adam and Eve's sons join the story and one kills the other. And then by Genesis 6, six chapters in, sin's dominance is seen in every human. Listen to Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And we have inherited this human condition. Sin isn't just what we do or don't do that displeases God the choices we make that hurt ourselves and others. It's the very condition that we are born into, the inclination and direction of our hearts. And Paul describes this spiritual condition as being in slavery to sin. Romans 6.20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. So in other words, left alone... Our spiritual condition means we can never be morally right or justifiable. This moral failure means we are breaking God's law. You remember God's law was given to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses in Exodus 19 onwards. And this was the moral code that they were to live by in order to be the holy and set apart people of God. Jesus sums up this law in Matthew 22 when he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the righteous standard that our holy, perfect, flawless God holds us to. Can we say that we have always loved God every moment of every day with all that we are? Have we consistently loved our neighbour as ourselves? You see, the law reveals our sin. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And this slavery to sin is real. It's not an illusion, but a common fact about every human being. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the law condemns us. We are found guilty. We've broken his law. If we don't find rescue from the guilt of our sin, we will be punished. Because as John Piper says, sin is an infinite offence against an infinitely holy God. 
So sin brings the righteous wrath of God. It is so serious that the law demands that the wage or payment of sin be the death of the sinner. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And so we experience the same separation from our holy, perfect God that Adam and Eve did when they were banished from the garden. As slaves to sin, we needed rescue from the just judgment of God because of our sin. We cannot have this legal charge hanging over us, condemning us. Is there anything we can do? Anything we can come up with ourselves to get us out of this mess? We know, don't we, that all of our works, all our striving, it cannot offset our debt of sin. We cannot buy off God or fool him or sneak into heaven. There is a price that needs to be paid. Just as my friend had broken the law by parking illegally and had to pay a penalty price to regain possession of her car, so a price must be paid to satisfy the demands of God's righteous and holy law, which we have violated and broken by our sin. But this price to set us free is enormous. The price is way beyond anything we could afford. Only Jesus could pay this price. And you know, this was always the Father's plan. You see, Jesus tells us in Mark 10, 45, that the reason he came into the world was to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we hear this word when we read of someone who's been kidnapped and a ransom price is demanded in order to set them free. And in Paul's time, it was specifically applied to the ransoming of slaves. In the Old Testament, people sold into slavery because of poverty could be redeemed or bought back by a relative. So Paul's readers would have understood the word to mean release from bondage through the payment of a price. And the price that Paul refers to in Ephesians is the blood of Christ. And that's a a shorthand way of pointing to his sacrificial death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. In him, we have redemption through his blood. I love how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is the price he paid. We are not redeemed by anything we have done or could ever do. We are not even redeemed by the teaching of Jesus or the fact he could do miracles. It is what he did on the cross that purchased our salvation, our freedom from sin. It took the holy, precious blood of Christ 
shared on the cross as a ransom price to satisfy the legal demands of the law that stood against us and condemned us. And this was always God's plan to demonstrate his great love for us. Jesus became our substitute on the cross, having lived the perfect life that we could never live and so fulfilled God's law on our behalf. He was the innocent victim who dies in the place of the guilty. He took full responsibility for our sin, and this included its guilt and its punishment and its ruling power in our lives. And, you know, we mustn't think that the ransom price was paid to Satan as though he had some right to the payment. Yes, we were slaves to sin, but Satan's power was that of an invader or a usurper. He had no rights of ownership. It was God who made us. We belong to him, and so all the rights are his. Jesus' death is the only payment, the only price that is acceptable to God, and he has paid it once and for all. Do you need to hear that again today? 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price. This is the kind of father he is. The one who gave so much. His only son who he loved. He's the one who pays the price for the mess his children make. He's the one who pays the penalty price that we should have paid. And this was because of his grace. Look at the end of verse 7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. As adopted sons and daughters chosen to be holy and blameless, we have become the recipients of God's unbelievable acceptance of us. And this is grace. He has given us himself. His plan means he comes alongside us and works for our benefit. I love one commentator's summary. He says, grace is the judge of the universe asking criminals to sit down to a meal in his home. Grace is the judge of the universe asking criminals to sit down to a meal in his home. There's an invitation today. Do you know that freedom to sit down confidently with the Father, knowing that your sin is dealt with once and for all? It's the Father's initiative. So take Jesus at his word, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That means you and me. Christ has done all that was necessary for us to be saved from our hopeless condition of sin. God has already paid the price, so you and I don't have to. But we do need to give our yes to him and receive his gift of redemption in faith. 
You know, when Rich, my husband, bought our, my engagement ring, that didn't make us engaged. He still needed to ask the question. And I still had to say yes and receive his gift. Jesus is asking the question this morning, will you receive what I did for you? Can I encourage you, if you've not given your yes to Jesus yet and accepted his redeeming sacrifice for you, do it today. It's the best decision I ever made. And Jesus is alive. He rose again and defeated sin and death once and for all. And he wants to meet you today and bring you into his father's family. When we receive what Jesus has done for us in shedding his precious blood on the cross, we are forgiven by God and God has no righteous ground to condemn us. Rob shared this verse earlier. Listen again. Romans 8, verse 1 to 2. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we get to live in the good of this amazing plan every single day. You are free. You are not condemned. Remember, Paul addresses his letter in the first verse of Ephesians 1 to God's holy people in Ephesus. Some translations call them saints. And that was always God's plan, that he chose a people before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, predestined for adoption to sonship, redeemed through Jesus' blood. Not because they deserved it or did anything to make him favorably disposed to them. It was all his grace. It's his plan, his purpose, his delivery. And amazingly, we get to be the ones who receive eternal gain. Confident access to our incredible, holy and loving Heavenly Father. So as we finish, what difference does it make that we are redeemed? Well, the Father chose us and redeemed us so we could be holy. And as Simon reminded us a couple of weeks ago, holiness isn't just what happens to us when we receive his gift of redemption. It's also our response. So there's a clear invitation to all of us to choose daily obedience to him, to turn from self-sufficiency and sin and to depend on God as he changes our thinking and our attitudes, our desires, our likes, our dislikes by the power of his spirit living in us. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer has authority over us. In Ephesians 5, the first verse, Paul says, Be imitators of God as beloved children. It should be unthinkable to us that we would enjoy a relationship with God as his children without cultivating the family likeness. 
And this happens because of where we're located in Christ, in his presence. So as we spend time hanging out with him, getting to know him better, we grow more and more like him. And our priorities become his priorities. As redeemed, forgiven, adopted sons and daughters, there is now a mandate on your life to come alive in his presence and bring life to every place that he has put you. Do you know that as a redeemed child of God, you are now carrying kingdom authority? And, you know, whenever you awaken to that authority, it changes you and everyone around you. You carry God's story, his cosmic vision for the redemption of everything. You are called to change the world by bringing his rule and his reign everywhere you go. And as his presence carrier, you get to release peace and comfort and joy and hope to a world that is desperately seeking it, just as you go about your ordinary business. I read recently, God doesn't send the lost into the church. He sends the found into the world. I love that. He wants to use us to reveal to others what kind of father he is. One who pays the price for the mess that we've made of things. The price for freedom that we should have paid. You know, guys, the gospel, it isn't just some brief formula. It's the whole biblical story of what God has done in Jesus to bring redemption to the whole of his creation. And we get to bear witness to this as we bring healing to the sick, justice to the oppressed and we bring his presence to the darkest places all the time pointing people to the hope found in Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to finish with this quote from Alan Scott. This is from his book Scattered Servants which I cannot recommend highly enough. So he says, take your everyday ordinary life and live it generously radically, expansively, creatively, courageously, compassionately, redemptively. Live it gloriously. Live in his story. Live out your story. Live knowing that God is with you, he's for you, and he is in you. It's so good. I wonder this morning if there might be a couple of responses that we want to make to the Father. Firstly, if you know that you've never given your yes to Jesus, you know that you've you've never accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for you personally, why not do it today? I'd invite you to speak to the person you came with or In a moment, come on down the front and I'd love to chat with you and pray with you and there'll be others around too. And then secondly, I believe that the Father wants us to receive a fresh revelation of the authority that we carry as his redeemed children. We're now part of God's story 
And we carry that wherever we go. Do you know there's not a room that you enter where you don't have the authority of heaven unless you choose to leave it at the door. So shall we stand together and I'd love to pray for us. I wonder if we could, uh, if you feel comfortable, just put your hand on the person next to you. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you just come afresh? Hmm. Father, it's just so amazing to be able to stand as your family, as chosen, adopted sons and daughters, redeemed by the Father. And Father, we're just so grateful for what you did for us. Your love was so great that you sent your son Jesus to die as a ransom price, a sacrifice in our place, so that sin and guilt no longer have authority in our lives, but rather you have given us the authority of heaven as your redeemed, holy, chosen people. We're so grateful, Father. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come now and just open our eyes afresh to that. Help us to see as we go into all the places that you have put us, into our workplaces, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, into our communities, that there is no place where we don't have the authority of heaven. We are your chosen, redeemed children. And we choose to carry that story and all that it means as we release hope and comfort and peace and your presence and your healing in all those places that you send us. Jesus, would you help us to have eyes to see who you want to send us to? Just as we go about our everyday business. Thank you that we don't have to do anything. It's in us. You have placed it in us by your presence, by your Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, I pray that you would help us this week to reveal what kind of father we have. And that you would use us to extend your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.